Life's everyday mystery solved. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. There's antimony, arsenic, aluminum, selenium, and hydrogen, and oxygen, and nitrogen, and rhenium, and nickel, neodymium, neptunium, germanium, and iron, americium, ruthenium, uranium, europium, zirconium, lutetium, vanadium, and lanthanum, and osmium, and astatine, and radium, and gold, protactinium, and indium, and gallium, and iodine, and thorium, and thulium, and thallium. Why do fireflies flash? And why do you not use extra virgin olive oil to saute or to fry? Those are the questions that I'm tossing out at you off the bat here today, and if you know the answer to them, you give us a call at 514-790-0800. That, of course, is also the number to call for any science-related question you may have. You can also text questions and comments to 514-800. I'm Joe Schwartz. I direct McGill University's Office for Science and Society, where we have a mandate to separate sense from nonsense to demystify science for our students and, of course, for you guys, the public, as well. We try to do that every Sunday afternoon here between 3 and 4, but, of course, we have many other ventures. Uh, We uh, do a lot of uh, stuff on our website, do videos. And let me just mention that... uh, On May the 8th, which is next Saturday, uh, McGill will have a Science Day, and there will be all kinds of interesting online activities, experiments that you can watch and also do along with the uh, scientists who are going to be doing the demonstrations. If you want to know how to join all of that, just go to our website, which is www.mcgill.ca slash OSS, and uh, you'll find the information there, along with thousands of articles that we have uh, posted over the years about all kinds of fascinating scientific issues. And, of course, you can also sign up for our weekly newsletter, which is free, comes to you every Saturday morning, a mix of uh, good information presented in what we hope is an entertaining uh, fashion. So let me just repeat the questions that I have tossed out today. Why do fireflies flash is one, and why do you not use extra virgin olive oil to saute or to fry? Now, I want to talk a little bit about silkworms. Yeah, silkworms. One of the first uh, toys that I was ever given, and this this, uh, this would go back to the uh, uh, early 1960s, was something that was called a silk factory. And uh, it came together with some silkworm eggs and instructions on how to raise these in order to become silkworms, which would then spit in a cocoon, and eventually silk moths would emerge out of that cocoon. I found this to be a very, very fascinating experience, although to tell you the truth, I never got it to to work uh, quite right. I never did manage to produce any moths out of there. But uh, as I recall, I I did get some of the eggs to hatch, and there was some cocooning, and there were some uh, uh, threads, silk threads that that formed. Anyway, it was uh, was fascinating, and uh, that got me interested in silk. And I've had a a long interest in, in silk because it is such a, a neat fabric. Uh, chemically speaking, uh, silk is, is, is a protein, and of course it is generated by the uh, silkworm when it uh, forms its cocoon, which is 
basically a tangle of, 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 of threads. And when you drop the silkworms into hot water, the, the thread kind of unravels. And of course, there are techniques using various kinds of looms to weave it into uh, the luscious fabric that silk is. And uh, in the magic community, uh, we use a lot of silk, uh, all kinds of uh, silk foulards and then, you know, color changing silks and, and uh, neat stuff. So magicians have a, a special uh, a place in their heart for silk fabric and chemists do as well because it is just so fascinating chemi uh, chemically. And the question is, can it be reproduced in the lab? Well, there are some substances out there that kind of mimic silk. Nylon is one. Uh, the chemical composition of nylon is not dissimilar to silk. It's, it's uh, also composed of uh, amines linked together, very much like, like, like silk. Of course, it's not exactly the same as, uh, as silk. But uh, it is possible these days to make silk-like fabrics, and polyester also can be used to make uh, silk-like uh, fabrics. Now, the reason that I'm talking about this is because I've come across a very unusual use for silkworms. Well, not the silkworms themselves, but their excreta. That's right. We're talking about silkworm poo. Now, that's not something that one normally comes across, but I did come across it uh, when I encountered an ad online uh, from a, a silk producer uh, in China, and it was a pillow. And the ad was for this pillow, which was filled not with the usual cotton or foam that we may have, but it was filled with the excreta of silkworm. Now, of course, the silkworm industry in China is very large. They are the prime producer of silk in the world. And uh, silkworms will obviously eat. What they eat, of course, is mulberry leaves. And they defecate. And because they are raised by the millions and millions and millions, they produce a lot of poop. So uh, I guess, uh, you know, it's not so surprising that historically this has been put to some, some use because the Chinese have been producing silk for 6,000 years. And uh, someone way back had the brilliant idea that maybe there were some health benefits to the, the poo because after all, so much of this was produced, I guess they were looking for various uses for it. And uh, stories started to emerge about uh, it having the ability to dispel wind and, and uh, uh, benefit rheumatism and uh, induce sleep, which I guess is the reason that they have put the excreta into these pillows. And they are commercially available. Yeah, you heard right. Pillows that are full of silk worm excreta. And the claim, of course, is that if you sleep on these, you will sleep better. And, uh, well, look, I, I haven't tried one. So, of course, in, in, in science, we can't pontificate too much without looking into it more deeply. I mean, I, I can't tell you for sure that there is not, not some volatile chemical coming out of the, the uh, uh, silkworm fecal matter that, that may have some sedative effect. Because let's face it, I mean, this is... Uh, a very complex chemical entity, isn't it? Uh, you know that the silkworms feed on mulberry leaves, which are, of course, themselves very complex chemically. And some of these compounds in the body of the, uh, of the insect will be transformed to other compounds. 
Some of them may have some therapeutic value. I mean, we cannot rule that out. And scientists have actually looked into that. Uh, there are papers that have been published on, on the physiological effects of some uh, compounds isolated from, uh, from the, the uh, excreta. Now, I would think, though, that the chance of uh, having a better night's sleep by uh, sleeping on some uh, silkworm poop, I think that's not very, very likely. But I can't out and out say that it is, uh, is not possible. Uh, certainly, the kind of pillow that one sleeps on can have an effect. Uh, uh, I was even uh, goaded into a couple of years ago of buying the pillow from the, the pillow guy, you know, the, this uh, Mike Liddell, Liddell character, who uh, is a was at least, probably still is, a huge supporter of all Republican ideals, was a big backer of, of, of Trump, and uh, hatched all kinds of conspiracy uh, theories. I mean, I, uh, he is not what one would call a particularly reputable authority on, on anything. And uh, in my experience, his pillow was a real dud. I couldn't even sleep on it. Uh, it was uh, basically made of, uh, of uh, pieces of polyurethane that, that uh, I think were cut from some uh, materials that, like end uh, you know ends of polyurethane sheets or or whatever I mean, but that had no other use and i guess he was clever enough to find a use for something that others had no uh, use for well maybe he can get into plugging some uh, silkworm excreta into his pillows and and seeing if that has any kind of uh, of value but um, there are some uh, serious researchers looking into silkworms, and um, there uh, there's a disease that affects silkworms. It's a kind of it's a virus, so of course there's a need to find some sort of uh, uh, solution for that because of the huge silk industry. And uh, using a technique called CRISPR, which um, of course is uh, these days very much talked about because it's a gene editing technique, the researchers have been able to basically genetically modify uh, silkworms so that uh, uh, whenever this virus attacks them, uh, they now have an enzyme uh, that has been introduced through the uh, genetic modification process that just shreds that virus and makes it inactive. Now, the reason this is so interesting is because it introduces the possibility of using the same technology to shred the virus that causes COVID-19. Now, of course, it's a long, long way between, uh, you know, uh, introducing something into humans that, that has had some effect in silkworms. But it's certainly a very interesting starting point. And, you know, it's uh, fascinating how it takes me back to, to my youth when I was playing with that silk factory. And uh, uh, it was one of the things that generated my interest in, in science. And uh, as you can see, uh, silkworms still fascinate me. All right, we're going to take a little bit of a break here. Check traffic. You're listening to The Dr. Joe Show. Science you can use. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. A couple of items left uh, hanging over from last week. 
Uh, we had a caller ask about uh, being vaccinated and uh, the time between the vaccine and, and getting a mammogram, whether there was any connection. And I said I would look into that. And I have looked into that. And indeed, there is a, a, a connection because when you get vaccinated, one of the side effects, uh, and not an uncommon side effect, is that the lymph nodes uh, swell up somewhat. And of course, that's because the lymph nodes are involved in your immune system. And uh, swollen lymph nodes uh, can interfere with a mammogram. They can, uh, they can cause uh, callbacks, you know, so that you need another one, which can be a scary thing. And this is why uh, they now are recommending that you should wait uh, several weeks after having a vaccine and having a mammogram. So there is real science behind uh, that one. I had also posed a question that uh, for, I guess, the past two weeks that never got answered when I asked about the relationship between Kim Kardashian and Bram Stoker. Uh, the connection is the vampire facial. Bram Stoker, of course, was the creator of Dracula, and Dracula is the most famous vampire. And Kim Kardashian uh, once pushed a procedure uh, performed mostly by plastic surgeons whereby tiny little holes are made in the face and uh, some uh, plasma is injected and this is supposed to basically have a rejuvenating uh, effect. Uh, Kim went for this and she posted it on uh, the results on, on Facebook. And of course, many people followed in her footsteps. Uh, a few weeks later, she said she would never do it again because it was too painful. Uh, there seems to be some uh, efficacy to it. If you go by the before and after pictures that are published by some plastic surgeons. So there may be some uh, something to this uh, scientifically. But uh, Kim herself said that she would not do this again because uh, it was not a particularly pleasant uh, kind of a uh, procedure. All right, I think we have Francis on the line as an who has an answer to one of my questions. Francis? Hi, Dr. Joe. Hi. Um, Go ahead. About the, fire the firefly? Yeah. I think it's a mating signal. To look yes, mate. that's right. Uh, that is exactly what it is. But of course, there's a story behind this, which is the reason that I asked the question. There are uh, numerous species of fireflies, uh, in fact, hundreds of different uh, varieties of fireflies, and they all have their specific code for attracting a mate, very much like a Morse code. So they oh. will flash, you know, short, short, long, short, long, whatever, and the different sequences of these flashes will attract different kinds of fireflies. So one species, of course, only wants to mate with another member of the same species, so they will use this, uh, this signaling technique. Now, what is interesting here is that there are some larger fireflies that, believe it or not, will eat smaller fireflies. And these bigger ones have learned to decode the message of the smaller fireflies and they mimic those to attract the firefly, and the firefly, the smaller one, then ends up being on the menu. <laughs> so it is fascinating connection between these uh, uh, these little uh, creatures. Amazing. Uh, there's another reason, though, why I asked this question, and that is to 
bring to your attention uh, another bit of COVID nonsense that is going around. And uh, on the internet, uh, via Instagram, via Facebook, there are some claims that the COVID-19 vaccine actually is called scientifically luciferase, and it has a patent number 060606. Uh, 666, of course, being the devil's uh, uh, number. And uh, uh, there's one uh, message that asks, are you going to get a shot called Luciferase with a patent number 060606 uh, and destroy your health? You will lose your salvation forever. Contains Luciferase. Now, they actually spell it Lucifer like L-U-C-I-F-E-R, separate word, race, R-A-C-E, implying that this vaccine somehow puts DNA from this mythical race of Lucifers into people. Uh, it's hard to imagine how they can come up with uh, some uh, uh, you know, nonsense, uh, total nonsense like this. Now, usually when you see this kind of lunacy on the Internet, you can trace it back to some scientific kernel of truth. And there is such a thing these days as well, with, with, with this issue as well. Because it turns out that there are some experimental tests for the virus, to, to detect the virus, that use an enzyme called luciferase. And this enzyme uh, uh, allows certain molecules to, to flash or to light up. And it is a commonly used laboratory technique. So luciferase is a very real substance. In fact, luciferase is the enzyme that is used by fireflies. Fireflies combine a chemical with oxygen, and uh, using the enzyme luciferase, they produce the, the light that we see. And luciferase, this enzyme, is used in various kind of laboratory experiments, including some that may be able to detect the virus. So this is where they get the connection between Lucifer and the virus, which they then blow into the absurdity that, uh, uh, that I mentioned. Uh, Lucifer, of course, is, is uh, very commonly thought of as, as the devil. Interesting enough, the word uh, uh, Lucifer has nothing to do with the devil. It comes from the, the Latin for bearing light, because Lucifer was the original uh, Roman name for the planet Venus, uh, which is the uh, brightest uh, uh, thing in the star beside in the sky besides the moon, and uh, of course uh, uh, visible with the naked eye. And uh, but the uh, orbit of of uh, Venus is is kind of bizarre. Sometimes you can see it, see the planet. Sometimes not. And when you don't see it, the belief was that it fell from the heavens. And of course, the devil supposedly fell from heaven, and that's how this uh, the term Lucifer got to be uh, associated with with the devil. And now it is being associated with the the vaccine by the. Uh, anti-vaxxer uh, crowd. I must say that there there is a, a certain amount of ingenuity out there among all of these um, uh, nutty uh, anti-vaxxers to create these uh, uh, scenarios to scare people away from the vaccine. And uh, some of this is successful. Uh, they they are scaring people away from uh, from the vaccine. And uh, there are some very, very influential people in this uh, 
uh, vaccine scare uh, business. Uh, one of um, uh, the biggest culprits out there is uh, Joe Mercola, who has a huge website where he sells all kinds of supplements and uh, forwards every conspiracy theory that you have ever heard of. And he's just come out with a new book uh, called The Truth About COVID-19. And anytime you hear uh, anything and, and titled The Truth About, uh, my experience has been that you can rest assured that you are not going to hear uh, the truth. And uh, I've looked through uh, uh, some versions of, of that uh, book that have been released uh, prior to the book being released. And uh, in, in my view, what we're looking at there is an absolute pile of, of, of garbage. But there's someone else uh, who is extremely, extremely influential in the anti-vaccine uh, business and and uh, forwards all kinds of conspiracy ideas. And that is a, a former obstetrician gynecologist called Christian Northrup. And um, I have a few choice words to say about her. Uh, but you'll have to wait until we listen to the CTV news to see what's going on. And after that, we will be back. And I will tell you about Christian Northrup. You're listening to The Dr. Joe Show. Your source when you need answers. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. Do you look upon the universe with wonder in your eyes? Do you tingle with attention when you're taken by surprise? If a problem should perplex you, does it put your brain in gear? Then you're ready for adventure on the science frontier. Okay, let me replace the question that was answered by another one. What do crickets have in common with washboards? What do crickets have in common with washboards? If you know, 514-790-0800, or you can also text us at 514-800. The other question that I still have hanging out there is why do you not use extra virgin olive oil to saute or to fry? I wanted to talk about Dr. Christian Northrup, who... Uh, Graduated from uh, Dartmouth Medical School, of course, a very good medical school. She became a gynecologist obstetrician and for a while practiced legitimate medicine. <clears throat> and then somehow she went off the rails. This is one of those things that I find very difficult to understand. How someone who is highly educated, especially in medicine, uh, can then swallow all of the fringe theories that she now espouses. Now, this goes back uh, to a few years ago. I mean, her, her sort of evolution from, from uh, traditional medicine to alternative medicine to out-and-out crackery was kind of a, a, a slow uh, process. I first became aware of her uh, when I was um, looking at one of her books. She's written a number of books, some of which have sold huge numbers of copies on, on Amazon because some of her early books were, were very good. Uh, they talked about uh, uh, menopause and how women should be treating it. Anyway, on the back of one of those books was this rather intriguing uh, sort of question. Did you know that you can treat or you can cure ALS, which is Lou Gehrig's disease, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, did you know that you can cure ALS by loving yourself unconditionally? <clears throat> well, that kind of intrigued me. I wasn't quite sure what 
loving yourself unconditionally means. But I know that you're not going to cure yourself of ALS with it or, unfortunately, with anything else. This is an incurable disease. There is nobody who has ever been cured of ALS. So that's what first triggered my interest in Dr. Northrup. So, you know, I started to follow her as she began to show up with greater and greater frequency on, on uh, uh, Facebook, on, on Instagram, on, on Twitter. And uh, uh, I started paying really a lot of attention to her during the last year because of the views that she was sharing about uh, uh, COVID. Uh, I mean, some of it was just uh, absolutely, you know, uh, outrageous stuff. Uh, she is uh, totally against uh, vaccination. And uh, she also says that uh, we should be avoiding vaccinated people, including spouses, because they could expose us to harmful vaccine materials that are extruded from their bodies. Uh, one doesn't even know how to address, you know, this, uh, uh, this sort of, uh, of nonsense. Uh, she says that um, uh, wearing of masks is a bad thing to do because it robs people of oxygen. We've, you know, heard that kind of silliness uh, before. And also that uh, uh, if you don't have symptoms, you cannot spread the virus, which of course is just uh, blatantly wrong. Uh, she shares claims that the pandemic is planned, that it's a sinister plot, uh, aimed at culling uh, the human race and turning survivors into, quote, a completely controlled army of slaves who own nothing and are dictated to and tracked, traced, and monitored 24-7 everywhere, even inside their homes, which, of course, they will no longer own. I think we will just uh, leave that one uh, alone. Uh, she promoted this awful video called Plandemic that I've talked about uh, before that has not a hint of science um, in it. And she urged people to share it. And because she has such a large following, uh, of course, many people were exposed to this. Um, in, in the kind of videos that, that she endorses and circulates, uh, we hear of stuff like, you know, COVID-19 vaccines changing people's DNA, infiltrating their bodies with tiny nanoparticle robots with two-way 5G antennas. They have the ability to take your biometric data, not only your vaccine record, but your breathing, your heart rate, your activity, sexual activity, uh, these drugs that you are taking when you travel, all of that, and then take that data and they store it in the cloud. And then, of course, they use it for all kinds of nefarious uh, purposes. And then she says, uh, when you get these vaccine nanoparticles in you, there's no detoxifying them. Uh, you're not going to get them out of there. They combine with your DNA and you're suddenly programmable. And with the proposed 5G networks, the body would be an antenna where you could be controlled from outside of yourself. The unfortunate side to this is that there are people who believe this and who follow her advice. In fact, it seems that her grandchildren go to a school in Florida where the administration 
was so taken by the advice of this famous person whose grandchildren happened to be in school that they said they will not hire any teachers who have been vaccinated. Yeah, this is, this is not uh, a fairy tale. This is uh, uh, documented. And uh, they said they made this decision because they didn't want to expose the children to these particles that supposedly are being extruded, curious word, from people who have been vaccinated. Uh, much, of course, has been written about uh, Christian Northrop and, and uh, others who espouse such nonsense, such as the previously mentioned Joe Mercola. And then, of course, there are others like Robert Kennedy Jr., who is also a champion of nonsense. Uh, and um, there, there are about a dozen people uh, in that uh, sort of uh, anti-vax uh, conspiracy community who have a tremendous influence and who are influencing millions and millions of people. Anyway, if you want to read more about uh, uh, Christian Northrup, uh, my colleague Jonathan Jerry has written a very, very good article uh, about it, and it's on our website. And, of course, our website is www.mcgill.ca slash OSS, and you can go and check out Christian Northrup uh, there uh, because, of course, there's a, a lot more uh, to the story than what I have just uh, told you. And, you know, it is really curious how someone went from, uh, you know, guesting regularly on the Oprah Winfrey show, where she was, you know, pretty rational, giving good ad advice of, and, uh, you know, uh, promoting, of course, her books like The Wisdom of Menopause. But there was nothing really objectionable uh, about it. And how she has, you know, transformed into this... Uh, uh, venomous conspiracy theorists it, it, it really is, is hard to understand now in one of the articles that I, I've been looking into it says that uh, last March when all of this began and uh, she was kind of confined to her home as, as you know so, so many people were and uh, her um, uh, boyfriend that's the term that is used in the article uh, was suffering from some uh, terminal disease and uh, Dr. Northrop had to take care of him at, at home, and uh, he, he passed away. And this seems to have uh, uh, basically been an inflection point in, in her life, and she became uh, even more uh, uh, venomous in her attacks on, on uh, what we would call conventional medicine and on, uh, on vaccines and uh, on conventional treatments for, uh, for COVID-19. And she got into this whole anti-5G uh, business and, uh, you know, the, the Bill Gates conspiracy idea that, that uh, Bill Gates is somehow uh, involved in uh, putting these microchips into people's bodies. Goodness knows for what. I mean, they never go far enough to give any kind of a rational you know, explanation for why uh, that would uh, would be done. Uh, so it's it's just a, a mystery to me how this kind of thing happens and how she has slid down the rabbit hole directly into, you know, the QAnon theory, uh, which uh, uh, she totally buys into. And she buys into the idea that, that there is this cabal of uh, actors and politicians that includes uh, the Clintons and includes Obama uh, who uh, 
steal children and kill them and eat them in order to to somehow get their adrenochrome into their bodies i mean this is it's so bizarre that it's even disturbing to have to talk about it but we do have to talk about it because you have to understand that there is um, this movement out there and that it is a real threat uh, to the health of our society and it has to be uh, vigorously attacked all right, so much for Mercola and Northrop and their sick ilk. Uh, we're going to take another look at uh, traffic that is out there. You're listening to the Dr. Joe Show. We'll be right back. Life's everyday mystery solved. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. We are born to do science. A baby can do it and so can you. Okay, it sounds like John is into olive oil. John. Yes. Hi. Um, so the reason that you don't fry with olive oil is because of the viscosity. It doesn't have as high a viscosity as other oils, which basically causes it to well, have the reaction that's going to happen when we try to use it at high temperatures. Mm, a valiant effort, but <laughs> quite off the track. Oh, okay. No. Well, so much for that. That's what I've been told my whole life. <laughs> Okay, well, listen for the correct answer, because that is not it. Will do, thank you. All right, so we're still looking for a correct answer to why you do not use extra virgin olive oil to saute or fry. And uh, the other question that I uh, have out there is, what do crickets have in common with washboards? Again, 514-790-0800 or text to 514-800. Someone texted a rather witty comment uh, about my fireflies question when I asked why are f why fireflies flash and uh, said the simple answer they were supplied with raincoats yes all right um, you know it's uh, it's May and what do we have out there today temperature seven degrees or something it's uh, sort of disappointing because I was Looking forward to finally getting around to barbecuing. Yes, it is not the healthiest thing, but not everything has to be the healthiest. Sometimes you have to, to just enjoy life. And I must say that I do enjoy the occasional hot dog. I don't eat it very regularly, but occasionally, especially if you put a good hockey game or a baseball game in front of it. Anyway, Otto von Bismarck, uh, of course, the celebrated German statesman, once remarked that the two things you don't want to see made and the law. And yeah, judging by some of the parliamentary behavior that you see or you know, in Congress, uh, he was right about the law. But sausages are another story. Uh, you can actually learn a lot of science from seeing them made. Uh, for thousands of years, people have been stuffing ground meat along with various spices and other ingredients into casings. Homer sang of sausages in the Odyssey, and that was written around 850 BC. The Romans traditionally made sausages from ground pork and pine nuts for the celebration of Lupercalia, and that was the feast of eating, drinking, and wenching. These sausages became so intricately connected to debauchery that Constantine, the first Christian emperor, actually banned them. Sausage bootlegging became a profitable enterprise. By the Middle Ages, hundreds of varieties of sausages had been developed. 
Many of these, like Bologna, were named after the city where they were developed. But the variety that plays the greatest role in our lives originated in the German city of Frankfurt. The Frankfurter was made with cured meat and was cooked by smoke. Legend has it that the Frankfurter was introduced into North America by Anton Ludwig Furtwanger, a Bavarian peddler who had emigrated to America. In 1904, he set up a booth at the St. Louis World's Fair and sold Frankfurters as snacks. Since these sausages were greasy and hot, he loaned his customers white gloves with which to hold them. So many people absconded with the gloves that he needed another solution. His brother-in-law, a baker, came up with one. Why not put the Frankfurter in a bun? Why not indeed? The new product was an instant success. Everyone wanted to try the newfangled hot Dachshund sausages, as the Franks were now called because of their resemblance to these lengthy canines. Soon the name was abbreviated to hot dog and a North American staple was born. There were some growing pains. In 1913, the Chamber of Commerce banned hot dogs from Coney Island in New York because of persistent rumors that they were made from dog meat. The ban was rescinded in 1916 when Nathan Handwerker guaranteed he would make a quality product. And he delivered. Nathan's, the mecca of hot dog emporium, was born. Let's face it, we know that hot dogs are not health food. Babe Ruth can testify to that. He once ate a dozen hot dogs during a ball game. And he was playing. All right, so they had to rush him to the hospital afterwards to pump out his stomach. But the babe was not one for moderation. A Brooklyn psychiatrist who analyzed the personality differences between hamburger and hot dog eaters would not be surprised by the babe's antics. Hamburger enthusiasts, he said, were steady, reliable, and predictable. Hot dog lovers, on the other hand, were found to be romantics with a flair for adventure. After all, it doesn't take someone with a bit of cavalier attitude to enjoy the mysterious ingredients in a wiener. Oh well, as I said once in a while, anyone can have a cavalier attitude. Of course, extremes are not the answer. The Nathan's hot dog eating contest uh, that we watch uh, every July 4th where they down, well, I, don't, I forget what the, the record is, it's something unbelievable, like 70 hot dogs in, 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 in 10 minutes. Uh, uh, I think it even maybe more than that, I'll have to, to look it up. Anyway, I mean, obviously no one is advocating that, but having a hot dog once in a while, uh, nicely dressed with some uh, coleslaw, mustard, and uh, fried onions, well, that's a treat that can take us back to childhood. All right, I think we may actually have an answer to the uh, olive oil question from Lorraine. Lorraine? Yes, hello. Hi. It's because of the low threshold for burning temperature. Uh, no, that's not oh, it no? either. No, it's not. I mean, it is true that... that uh, uh, extra virgin olive oil does have a low smoke point, as 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 we say. But uh, the fact is that you can certainly fry with it without reaching that smoke point. Oh, I so don't do that. Okay, that, thank you. That's not the answer. All right, let's let's see if Rachel uh, can do better than that. Rachel. Okay, thank you. I think maybe she can't. What about Pat? Pat. 
Hi. I thought it was because it has um, uh, I think they must have had the same uh, same answer and they yeah. have uh, given up. No. So it is not the uh, uh, the smoke point. It, it is true that uh, uh, extra virgin olive oil does have a lower smoke point than uh, canola oil, for example. But but uh, you don't reach the smoke point anyway when you're when you're uh, frying. So no, that's not the answer. And it is also not the case that it is made unhealthy in any way. That is uh, that is something that is going around anyway. Uh, you know, the suggestion that somehow the oil may get uh, transformed into trans fats. No, that's nonsense. Uh, then there's some other ideas about how the antioxidants are destroyed. That's not true either. The The real reason that, that you do not use extra virgin olive oil for frying is because it's devastating to your pocketbook. Extra virgin olive oil is very expensive as it should be because it's very high quality oil. The olives are hand picked, they are cold pressed because heat is the enemy of, uh, uh, of flavor in olive oil. There are over a hundred different compounds that have been isolated from the flavor of olive oil and many of these are volatile. And of course, when you're using olive oil in uh, in a salad, and uh, th these uh, uh, salads, uh, you know, have a remarkable flavor. Uh, I've learned from uh, Jody that uh, uh, extra virgin olive oil really is the stuff that uh, makes the salad taste good. So it's always, you know, it's it's good to have a, a lady friend who knows how to make uh, salads properly with extra virgin olive oil, which retains the flavor because it's not heated. When you heat it, some of the flavor compounds evaporate. So you are wasting your money if you're using extra virgin olive oil for frying. Well, that's it. Uh, that's the show for today. You've learned something about uh, uh, the quacks that are out there and also about silkworms. Uh, and uh, you'll learn more about silkworms next week because I'm going to write a column for the Gazette for next Saturday on the whole silkworm business because I do find it interesting. And that's it. We are smack out of time, but we'll be back with you same time, same station next week. Until then, I'm Joe Schwartz, hoping all the chemistry in your life comes out just right. <laughs>